0: Welcome to Frontline Church South OKC Sermon Podcast. Each week we will have new sermon content from Sunday mornings, both video and audio options. Please visit
1: south.frontlinechurch.com for more information. If you have any questions, need prayer, or have any other needs at all, please email hello at frontlinechurch.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. The scripture for today's teaching is Mark six thirty through 52. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest awhile, For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And he said, and they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land, And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. This is the word of God to us. Be to God.
0: Thank you so much. That marathon of scripture, so wonderfully read. Thank you so much. You guys doing okay today? All right. Hey, uh, before I jump in today, just one piece of, of family news. Uh, today is uh, one of your elders' birthday, Sean Evans. 40 years old today, he's wearing his birthday jersey, this is uh, the watermelon birthday, so good. Um, Man, we love you, you serve our church, man, it's incredible to uh, share life and faith with you, so praise God for your life. Um, Hey, let's, uh, let's pray as we open God's word and ask that he would bless this time. Hey, as we pray, just take a moment here and offer your own prayer to God. Ask Him for help to hear today, ask Him for increased capacity to see Jesus. Holy Spirit, we come before the Father today. We come before you. We come in the name of Jesus, our King, Son of God. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you give preaching to the power of your word, not preaching, not power to me, but power to the preaching of your word. And we ask um, that you would do what you do, and that is bear witness of Jesus. So guide us into truth, remind us of everything that he's taught us, and help us be followers of him. We ask in his name, amen. Amen. Well, you may know uh, C.S. Lewis, right, famous author, writer, novelist. Um, He was a professor of English at Oxford back in the 1940s, and he was an atheist turned Christian, right? That's part of his story. He once called himself the most reluctant convert in all of Britain. And he, as he turned to Jesus, he began to write many things that um, just came from the, the, the layers and the levels of, of thought and of contemplation that he gave, even from his years of being an atheist, now illumined by the Holy Spirit as a follower of Jesus. And he once wrote this line that's really helpful to us. He says, "'If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy,' the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. He says, if I find in myself a desire or or, or a hope or a longing for a kind of experience that nothing in this world can grab a hold of, then that must mean that I'm made for something beyond here, right? And we can testify to that. There, there, there is, there's an angst, there's a longing in the soul that no matter what we grab for, whether it's relationships or successes or achievements or areas of conquest, we hit a ceiling. And there's some, some level of satisfaction, some level of joy, some level of fulfillment, but then there's that other thing we keep grasping for that's just not there yet, right? And all the things that we've experienced. And yet here's what's happening, even though we could testify to that, and many heads nodded as I read that and even explained that, what's still true is that most of us spend our lives trying to build smaller kingdoms down here, don't we? Smaller kingdoms where we want to have power and control and approval and comfort. We're grabbing for ourselves everything we possibly can because we still go, I want to be fulfilled and I I think it's down here despite the fact that nothing else has gone there. The problem with all of that groping and grasping and all of that power, control, comfort, and approval, things that I long for, I'm in the fight with you. The problem with all of that is with our kingdoms don't get established is because we're not kings. Our kingdoms don't actually stand. They don't last because there's only one king, right? And we know that's Jesus, but the scriptures are going to say that he really is a king. And even though as Americans, we don't love talking about kings and queens and royalty, that's stuff across the pond. That's not for us. We're revolutionaries. We're free. We're a democratic republic. The scriptures are, are unquestionably clear. Jesus really is a king. Abraham Kuyper, a Dutch Reformation theologian, he, he said that, um, that there's not a single square inch over the entire cosmos over which Jesus doesn't declare mine. Mine. And so I want you to be sort of invited into the kingship of Jesus today. I want you to think around the kingship of Jesus today because he really is a king. He really has a kingdom. And that's exactly where this text is moving us, this familiar text. There's three things I want you to see today. I want you to see that the kingdom doesn't always look like what we thought it would. The second is that Jesus really is king. And thirdly, the king is patient with his people. The, king may, the, the kingdom may not always look like what we thought, Jesus really is the king, and the king is patient with his people. Let's jump into the first one. The kingdom may not always look like what we thought. Begin with me in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away into the boat to a desolate place by themselves. And many saw them going and they recognized them and so they ran on foot from all the towns and they got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore he saw this great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. So where our text picks up today is where we left off a couple of weeks ago when Jesus was rejected at Nazareth and then he sends out the 12 disciples prepares for them to be rejected. And then they go out on mission. And now what we have in verse 30 is them coming back from being on mission, reporting to him how it went, right? Now what's interesting is this text picks up where we were a couple of weeks ago, but in between all of that is where you were last week with Sean teaching about the beheading of John the Baptist by King Herod, right? And so there's this little moment that happens from when Jesus sends them out and they come back in between all of that, John the Baptist was beheaded. And as he mentioned last week, you're already getting the sense as you roll down into this passage, as you roll into this account of Jesus feeding the multitude, you get this sense that being a follower of Jesus, some are going to go out and have great success. Some are going to go out and mission is going to be effective and people are going to come to Jesus. But others are going to go out in the same name, by the same power and in the same spirit, preaching the same message. And they're going to get beheaded. It's an interesting moment, right? The disciples come back and say, look at all that we did, and look at all that we taught, and it went well. But they also know that their friend, John, was just killed for the same message before the king. We're reminded again of our friends in Afghanistan, the believers across the globe that are gathering in very different circumstances than we are today. Amen? But in the midst of all of this, in the midst of all that's happening there's this passage in front of us. And great crowds are gathering in large numbers on this day. And in verse 34, we get this really important verse. It says, he went ashore, and a great crowd came. And it says, Jesus had compassion on them. and He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. There's so much loaded in this phrase. And it's much more than just sort of some like southern hospitality from God, where it's like, oh, bless their hearts, these poor people. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They, they need to hear a story. They need to hear a sermon. Gather around. It, it, it's so much more than that. What's happening here is actually caught up back in the book of Numbers, your favorite book of the Bible, right? The book that everyone has starred and underlined and highlighted, and all those sorts of things. What's happening here is Jesus is connecting the dots of something really important from the life of Moses. So Moses, in the book of Numbers, chapter 27, before he dies, he starts to pray this prayer for the nation of Israel. He says, God, would you raise some leader up? Would you raise up another one after me that will care for this nation, that will lead this nation, that will guide this nation around the worship of God, the purity of life? And he says, so that they don't become like sheep without a shepherd. Moses prays those exact words in Numbers chapter 27. So when Jesus sees this group gathering on this day, he immediately connects the dots back to Moses. These people are looking for a new Moses. These people are looking for a new Joshua, the one who took over after Moses, who led them in military conquest and political power. They're looking for a new David, someone who would lead them in the establishment of Israel as the power of God's people. They're looking for someone who will start a revolution and set them free from the occupation of Rome. Remember, they just had their friend beheaded. So now they're thinking, we're done with Rome. We're done with these fools. Let's rally a revolution, and let's overthrow this thing. And so the people, they've been hearing about Jesus. They've been hearing about his works. They start to flock to him because they're thinking he's the one for the takeover. He's the one doing mighty works. He's the one doing mighty teaching. He's the one. So they're flocking to him, not because they see him as God, but because they see him as their ticket to political power and military conquest. You're the one. And we know this is what's happening because in the Gospel of John, this same story is recorded for us, and it says they sought to take him by force and make him king. In this moment, they're like, you're the one. Let's rally and let's overthrow these guys. Jesus knows all of this. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd. He knew what they were looking for, and here's what he does. Instead of playing into the fanfare, instead of rallying them for an insurrection, Jesus starts teaching them, about the kingdom of God. Jesus starts teaching them about the way of repentance. Repent. Turn from your sins. They're saying, that's not what we expected to hear today. That's not what we were wanting to hear. He says, no, 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 no. It's going to come a different way, the kingdom of God, repentance. And so apparently this teaching Jesus gives goes on for some time. He showed up early in the day, and the text is going to say it's now late into the night, and he's still teaching, and the disciples interrupt Jesus. They Mid sermon, they interrupt him and they say, Hey, these people are probably really hungry. They came for a pep rally today. You're giving them something very different. They probably have grumbly tummies. Let them go back into the town, grab some food to eat. Maybe they can come back for, you know, the fourth sermon of the day or something like this, right? Long conference. And so pick up with me in 35. It says, When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. The hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy something to eat. And he answered them, this is interesting, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? So the disciples look back at Jesus and they get a little spicy with him. They're saying, hey, these people are hungry. And Jesus goes, well, then you feed them. And they go, okay, Jesus, should we have 200 denarii, uh, a whole year's worth of earnings? That's what it's going to take to feed this crowd. Do we have that, Jesus? By the way, you're a homeless leader. Where are we going to get that kind of money to feed them this kind of bread? And he goes, go see what you got. They come back and they say, we've got five loaves and two fish. And so you know the story. Jesus takes the bread. He blesses it. He breaks it. And he invites everyone to sit down, it says, on the green grass. Hang on to that phrase. Sit down on the green grass, and the disciples start to pass out the food to everyone. And it says they all ate, not just a little morsel, so, they all ate to the point they were satisfied, and there were 12 basketfuls of leftovers. Now, what's Jesus doing with this miracle? Because most of us have probably heard this taught and they go, here's what's going to happen. You offer Jesus your little, he's going to multiply it, he loves your sack lunch, he's going to make it a feast, right? That's the metaphor of life. That's not the point of what's going on here. The point of what's happening through his teaching all through the day and now with this miracle, he is showing them, you're looking for a new Moses. I am the new Moses, but this is a different exodus. Exodus. This is not out of slavery to a nation. This is out of slavery from sin. And I'm going to lead you different. I am the new Joshua, but I'm not leading you to a promised land. I'm leading you to the promise of God's presence. I am the new David. Remember, I am the shepherd king from Bethlehem. And I am going to feed the people of God in the wilderness just like he did, just like you're being fed now. But your greatest enemy isn't Goliath. It's Satan sin and death what happens here is that the kingdom of god is all of a sudden starting to look different than what they thought they expected a revolution but this is very different and so what happens for you and me what happens for us when the kingdom and life in the kingdom and life as a disciple is different than what we thought it would because it is isn't it i thought following jesus was supposed to make my life easier I thought following Jesus was supposed to protect me from heartache and disappointment. I thought following Jesus would make my life naturally an upward progression of, to, the, to the upward and to the right. Success upon a success. I didn't see depression and anxiety coming for me. I didn't see infertility coming for me. I didn't see betrayal coming for me. After all, I didn't see a difficult marriage coming for me. After all, I'm trying to follow Jesus. How come following Jesus in the world is much more of an internal struggle than any of us thought it would be? How come following Jesus in the world actually is much more of an external struggle than many of us thought it would be? How come following Jesus in the world actually lands me at times more confused and unbelieving than I ever thought I would be? Where is God? Does he care? Why does it seem like he's absent when I need him most? This kingdom looks very different than I thought it would. But just because all those things are true, because we do feel those struggles, we do have those doubts, and we do have those places of confusion, just because those things are true, what this text assures us is you're not the first person to feel any of that as a disciple. But more importantly, just because all that's true that doesn't mean he's not a good shepherd. He is a good shepherd. Because what's happening in this account is Jesus is now showing that he's the embodiment of Psalm 23. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd, and he shows up and he says, The Lord is my shepherd, and so you shall not be in want. What does he make them do? He makes them lie down in green pastures. He leads them beside still waters. He satisfies them, even to the point there were 12 baskets of leftovers. He leads them in paths of righteousness, not a hostile takeover, but a way of repentance for his name's sake. And even though they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, they will fear no evil. Why? Because God is with them. And listen, he prepared a table for them, even in the presence of their enemies. And the same is true for you and me. The kingdom may not look like what you thought, but it really is true. And the second piece is this. Jesus really is king. (laughs) He really is the king. Now, if there is any doubt, here's what's happening. After the crowds were fed, Jesus puts his disciples in a boat, and he tells them to go to the other side. It's been a long day for Jesus. He was teaching clearly from the morning until late into the evening, and then he performed a miracle. He's like, I need some me time, right? So, Jesus puts his disciples in a boat. He goes up on a mountain to pray. Now, apparently, he was there for quite a long time because it says in the fourth watch of the night, which by the way, we tell time would be between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., he looks out under the water and he sees his disciples trying to obey him, row in the boat to the other side, but the wind is against them, pressing, and they're not getting anywhere. And so he wants to go down and help them pick up in 48. And he saw that they were making headway painfully. For the wind was against them. It was about the fourth watch of the night. And he came to them walking on the sea. Notice this phrase, he meant to pass by them. And when when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. And he cried out, for they all, sorry, they thought he was a ghost. And they cried out, for um, they all saw him and they were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. And when he got into the boat with them, the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves. (laughs) Um, They just saw him walking on water, like walking, like taking a leisurely stroll on water. And then he got into the boat, and the storm calmed down. They're like, can you, the loaves, The, the loaves but their hearts were hardened. So there's so much going on here. Stay with me. I'll try to pull it apart. Jesus starts walking out onto the water, and then there's this strange phrase in verse 48 that he meant to pass by them. Have you ever seen that phrase in the story? He meant to pass by them. It, he gives the impression that like they're out there trying to do their best against this storm, rowing this boat, and he's coming out on the water just going, hey guys, I see you're struggling. Good luck with all that. I'm out here for a 3 a.m. walk on water—it's normal, right? You get the impression. What's happening here? There's a lot of ink that's been spilled on this phrase. Like, what is actually meant by this? There's something really important going on. It's what scholars call a theophany. It's what scholars call a theophany. So think back with me in. Um, the book of Exodus, right? A theophany of these moments where God shows up in power and presence in a unique way to confirm his presence with his people. And so you think about the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. That's a theophany, right? This physical, visible presence uh, sign of God with Moses. Then you also have in Exodus 33 Moses crying out to God, I want you to show me your glory. And God says, okay, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to cover you because you can't see my face. And he says, I'm going to cause my goodness and my glory to pass by. Right? And it's a sign. It's a visible sign, a physical evidence of God's power and presence. And then you have also in 1 Kings chapter 19, the prophet of Elijah looking for the voice of God. He goes out into the wilderness and there's this big fire that blows up and he's looking for God in the the events of the fire and God's not there. And he's looking for God in the earthquake that comes next, and God's not there. And there's a great, powerful wind that comes through, and he's looking for the evidence of God in these, all these massive events that are happening. And then it says, "There was a still, small voice that passed by. And so these moments in the Old Testament of God giving his visible sign of presence to his people by passing by, that's what Jesus is doing here in this moment because the disciples still aren't convinced that he's God. They're just thinking, you're the next most powerful rabbi that's come onto the scene. I'll follow you. You're doing all kinds of miracles. You're teaching like we haven't heard. They're still not convinced he's God. So in this moment where people are asking for a revolution and a takeover, Jesus is trying to show his disciples these aren't just tricks. I am God. God, and we know this is true because how he responds to them he's walking out onto the water and they think it's a ghost but he says this take heart it is i the direct translation of that from the greek is i am that's the personal covenant name that god gave to his people in the old testament i'm not god out there I'm not who you want me to be. I'm not who you hope me to be. I am who I am. And Jesus identifies himself out on the waters in the midst of their fears as Yahweh, the Lord. And he says, I am in your midst. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Some of you need to hear that today. Because out in the midst of all that you're walking through, out in the midst of your fears, out in the midst of your anxieties, you feel distanced from God. You feel overlooked by God. You feel bypassed or passed by by God. And his response, because here's what's so beautiful, Jesus is the same yesterday in this text, today and forever. He does not change. He's as alive and active as he was then today. Today. He says, I am here. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. This is a beautiful passage. Jesus really is king. It may not look like all that we think it would, and there's moments where it doesn't feel as though he's doing anything, but he really is king. His kingdom really is coming. The disciples missed it. But here's the last point today. The king is patient with his people. The king is patient with his people. There's sort of this subplot running behind these two familiar miracles. And the subplot is this. The disciples are clueless. Complete buffoons. Jesus is showing his supremacy. He's showing his godness. He's showing all kinds of these things. They get sarcastic with him about the feedings. You feed them. Where are we going to get the money, Jesus? They pipe back at him. They completely miss the unique moment of his power and presence on the water. And then after the storm is calmed with him sitting in the boat, they go, never mind the fact that you're walking on water, let's talk about the loaves again. They're clueless. But Jesus doesn't cast them off. Jesus doesn't trade them in. Jesus doesn't all of a sudden pull aside and pray to the Father, can I, can I exchange these twelve for a different twelve? He doesn't do it he's patient with them they stumble all over themselves and he's patient with them hey the same is true for us we stumble all over ourselves but he's patient with us and here's why he's patient the big finish today because he didn't come to have a hostile takeover of the world Jesus didn't even come to have a hostile takeover of your life that's not how anyone became saved that God like beat you in an arm wrestling match the way Jesus brings change into the world is through kindness and vulnerability the way Jesus brings change in the world just to say this again in the midst of an outrage culture the way Jesus brings change in the world is through kindness and vulnerability the way that he brings change in your life is the same way that he brought change on the green grass that day. He blessed and he broke. He blessed and he broke on the cross. He died at the hands of sinful men. And think about what he did there. He blessed them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he blessed them as he broke. The bread of life broke. He blessed and he broke. He was broken for your sin, for my sin. He stood in our place receiving all the ways that we've broken allegiance with God. He took it on himself and he blessed us while he broke so that we could have release to the Father. So consider this. It's not power that leads you to repentance. It's not a sheer show of God's flex and strength that leads you to go, I submit to you, good king. That's not any of our stories. But the scriptures say, and it's true, that it's his kindness that leads you to repentance. The kingdom may not look like what you think, but Jesus really is king, and he's patient with his people. So I've got two questions I'm going to leave you with, and we'll be done today. Where in your life does living as a Christian not look the way you thought it would and you're tempted to look somewhere else? Where in your life does living as a Christian not look the way you thought it would and you're tempted to look somewhere else? This is my temptation. To find life, to find my way, to find what I want somewhere else. And the second question is this. Consider the kindness and patience of Jesus with his disciples. Where is Jesus being kind and patient with you? And what is your response? Where is Jesus being, hey, listen, where is Jesus being kind and patient with you where you're not being kind and patient with yourself? how you feel about you doesn't define you. How he feels about you is the final verdict. Where is his kindness and patience present? And what is your response? Father, we submit to your word today. We submit to the kingdom of your Son. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would form us. Help us to submit to you in places where you're not giving us what we would prefer, where life with you doesn't look like what we expected it to, and we're tempted to bail on you. Jesus, we want to confess in the midst of those places of tension that you really are King, you really are Lord, and we ask that you would form us with your patience. We offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.